Hello and welcome to Addiction Talk. We are glad to have you join us on this evening. And my guest, if you watch season 15 of Addiction Talk, you definitely will know who he is. And let's take a look at his story. Many remember celebrity chef Chris Scott as a finalist on the show Top Chef, a platform that showcased his unique take on Southern cuisine. He also used the platform to raise awareness about substance use in the restaurant industry and addiction. Chris is now approaching a decade of sobriety, which he said has actually improved his cooking. He recently opened Butterfunk Biscuit Co. in New York City and will soon release his first cookbook. Addiction Talk starts now. And Chris, we are so happy to have you here on this Wednesday night. I know we've been talking behind the scenes in your story. I mean, you have so many things that you could share, but I know many of us remember you from Top Chef, season 15. Yeah. Take me back to one of the things I know is really important for you is using the show as a platform to talk about addiction. Take me back to when you realized that you needed to start spreading the word about the struggles in the industry. You know, I think I think that it was that particular episode where we had to do the the beer tasting, you know, and I just knew that that wasn't going to happen for me. Um, and I wasn't going to, you know, drink, you know, beer and all that and 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 do all that. But but I was still very young you know, in my sobriety at that point. So just being in that scenario was a little uncomfortable, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and as a result, I mean, I didn't do very well during that challenge. Good thing that I had uh, a, a free pass, you know, for that one. But I think that it was then that I began to really talk more about what was going on with me emotionally, you know, during that particular challenge. It was the first time probably since my sobriety that I was actually posted up at a bar with people with booze and everything in the background. Not that it made me want to drink like that desire was, was long gone, but it was just, what am I doing here? You know, why is this here? And it just started making me think about, you know, all those demons all over again. Like I always say that the old Chris, you know, is still very much here. You know, he's just tied up with heavy chains at the bottom of a well with big rocks on top of him. But every now and then you can hear those chains rattle, you know, where he's trying to get loose a little bit. And that was one of those moments, you know, when I was posted up at that bar. Wow. The descriptor that you use there of the other Chris that's there so in that moment when you were dealing with that, did you share it with the producer before that moment? Or was it just like, I need to say something now. I need to raise awareness now. Right. I think um, the producers and everything knew that I was sober going into it. You know, um, I think just for TV purposes and just for TV hype, that maybe they just wanted to see what I was going to do. I mean, it always makes for good TV. You mm-hmm. know, um, luckily I just didn't, you know, bust through that door into the dark place. But afterwards, once we were in the stew room, I was able to discuss everything with my colleagues, with the other chefs and kind of let them knew 
what was going on with me and in my head. Because if you look at the tape, you know, I was very distant. I was very quiet. You know, like I was obviously going through some 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 uh, mental stuff, you know, as that was happening. And 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 uh, and once we were back on air, you know, it was very easy to just talk about it. Like it just mm -hmm. came, just came out. Mm -hmm. And what do you think the impact of sharing that experience or being open had on others? Yeah. I mean, since then, since then, people would reach out to me all the time via social media. You know, I saw you on the show, your story, it resonated with me, you know, and I know what it's like to be able to reach out for help and not be reciprocated back, you know. So for every single person that would reach out and talk about how they're struggling just the same, I would respond to them, you know, a few texts here and there, you know, just to let them know that there is light at the end of the tunnel, that there is another side. I mean, back when I was drinking, that was a world that I could not even see. You know, I didn't even know that that world would even exist for me because I was so deep in the hole, so messed up, you know, from alcohol, you know, that I, I, I just couldn't believe that another life was waiting mm. for me, mm -hmm. you know? So when you had that moment on Top Chef and you're yeah. in the midst of all these alcohol and all of that, the background, it's almost like a bar scene. Yep. What is going through your mind? Is Are some of those old memories coming back? Because you said, you know, you seemed a little distant. So what was going through your mind at that time? I mean, you know, I, I just started thinking about all the drinking and just, you know, spending all those hours you know, by myself going through bottles and bottles and bottles and just being, you know, down on myself and down on life and just all the people that I've hurt, you know, all the people that I would lie to, all the people that I would deceive, you know, and just all of that ugliness just kind of reappeared to me, you know, because mm -hmm. even then, like you're still still in the midst of healing and trying to work through that because you can't really work you can't really get to the other side without walking through all the BS. And I'm talking, it's like muddy, it's dirty, you know? I mean, it's, 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 it's horrible. But you really have to realize that your own SHIT stinks. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. because, because, you know, you can't go through it thinking, you know, oh, you don't know me. You don't know my story. You don't know what's going on with me. Alcoholics say that all the time, all the time. You know, but on but in the reality is that your loved ones, the people close to you do know what's going on with you. They do know your pain. They do know your struggles and they're trying to reach out and help you, you know. But as an alcoholic, you're just like, ah, just get away from me. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know. You don't know me. I know me. You're like, ah. you know, you have to really try to work your way through that. And it's difficult. And sometimes it takes years you know, to be able to stand up, you know, and realize all of the dirt, all of the evil that you've done, all mm -hmm. of the dirt and the evil that that is within your own head, the, the demons that exists within you. You know, I always say that alcohol is just the result of what's really happening. I had this horrible, horrible relationship with my mom. And probably from from at a young age, I would I would um, have like these bad 
the these the these bad things with 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 my relationship with my mom to where she would talk bad about me to where she would you know yell at me she would scream at me and she would do all of these things that just didn't make sense you know the way that you would treat a child and mm-hmm. those voices stayed with me you know my entire life now chris let me ask you this when you're referring to the relationship with your mom and just understanding like the source of what was going on. Do you believe that that relationship and just the words that you heard as a kid, do you believe that was a source for leading you to seek alcohol or other substances? Oh, absolutely. Because I I had no self-confidence. I did not believe in myself at all. I mean, I still hear, hear my mother's voices in my head, you know, and this is 10 years later. You know, my mother's my my mom has been dead for my goodness, 20 years now, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 luckily towards the end of her life, we were a- able to make amends a little bit, you know, but uh but but her words were like venom, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 for the longest I had even with all the accolades that 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 I would have in my life, I still would never believe that I was worth much, you know, and because I didn't feel that way about me, you know, everything that happened in my life would just tear me down and knock me down. You know, how did the alcohol help? Like, how was the alcohol a coping mechanism for you? It would, it would, it would make me hide. It would, it, it would cause for one, the pain to go away. And because I, I, I think that I have such a creative mind that when I was drunk, that I was able to create these alternate life fantasies about myself, you know, like, like everything that sort of that I'm living now, I would fantasize about, you know, and those, 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 those dreams, those goals just didn't seem real. So alcohol in my mind would create like this alternate life, you know, to where I was, sober to where I was on top of my game to where I was a good guy. You know, you feel like you, I know you said this has been a healing, even going through the mud of unpacking, you know, what happened with your mother and stuff like that. Do you feel like you're still healing or do you feel like you're healed? Do you ever feel that you've got this? I think that I'm still healing, Mm. but I think that, that now I certainly have the tools and the coping mechanisms to be able to get through those parts, you know, where before you're learning those parts, you're learning how to, you know, get these new tools to make yourself stronger, to get through those hard times. Now, I think that I definitely have a bag of tricks. I have a backpack. Like I have full luggage of, 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 of coping tools to get me through, you know, I I still interesting. Well, what you said there is really interesting, Chris, because I have to stop you there because you have a whole backpack full of tools. Can you give us some of those tools, maybe just one or two that really helped you? I know um, somebody else could really benefit from that. Yeah, a lot of it, you know, is just dealing or or realizing the the reality of what's right in front of your face. You know what I mean? the fact is, is that is, is 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 that I do have a family that loves me. I do have, you know, a wonderful career. I do have all of these great things, you know, that are staring me right in the face. I do have a good relationship with God. I do have a good relationship with my children. 
all of that is now real, you know, mm-hmm. and that has become a foundation, you know, to when things are hard, you know, you can kind of lean on your on your faith. You can lean on your family. You can lean on all of these people that really strengthen you to walk through it. That's deep. I mean, I think the fact that you're saying that you have a tool as is in your family becomes like the foundation and you remind yourself of the truths of life. Yeah. That help you to get through this. Now, I want to go back to your time, you know, in the restaurant industry, because a lot of people realize that, you know, you're around alcohol. Most people, many restaurants have alcohol. How did being in the restaurant industry most of your life fuel or impact the addiction that you were dealing with? Right. I mean, restaurants back in the day, and I'm talking, this is back in like in the 90s, you know. We, so we would go into work, you know, and somebody was always holding, you know. So, you know, the, the bartender behind the bar was always in on it. If I had cocaine, somebody else had weed, the bartender, we would just drink for free, you know, steal from the company. You know, we used to call that the Trinity, you know. So we would come in to work at like 10 o'clock in, in the morning, work all the way through till midnight. And, and, and it was con- a constant flow of coke, weed, and booze. You know, if you're feeling too too high, you smoke a little weed. If you're feeling too low, you do a bump or two. But but beer and alcohol was always in that mix, you know, all the time. You know, so it was always free. Like you never really had to buy it. You know, somebody was holding and then you had your boys come through you know, who after the shift, now they're working at the bar where you're going to head over to, or they're the bouncer at the club that's going to let you in, you know, and the party just continues. And that's seven days a week, seven Mm. days a week, you know. Do you still feel like that's today? I know you said this was years ago. Do you feel like the culture, restaurant culture has changed? I would hope so. I would hope so. I mean, definitely where my circles now are not that you know, by any means, you know, but, but, but I would, I I would assume that in some parts of the world that that culture probably still exists, you know, even after COVID and even after, you know, all of this, where people are trying to change for the better. I mean, sometimes you can still see remnants of the old lifestyle still hanging in there, but, but, uh, but, but kitchen life is not easy, you know, already, You know, we're a bunch of people that, you know, work crazy hours, hardly ever see our 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 family, our friends. You know, we work work to the bone. You know, it's hard work, you know, for very little, little, little pay, you know, and then, you know, and you're getting screamed at by some insecure chef who, you know, doesn't have him or his or her head on straight, making you feel even more inferior. So you kind of you know, mask all of that with drugs and alcohol as well. It, it it certainly was a vicious cycle back in the day. Like the whole atmosphere of restaurant work back in the day was, it, it was just difficult. Mm. And so back in the day, did you find that most people, would we be surprised how many people, chefs were struggling with some type of addiction or even, um, you know, dependent? Almost every single chef that I worked with was getting high right, right with me, in almost every spot that I worked in, probably until the early two thousands. Really? Mm. 
everybody, everybody, round the clock. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. It was, it, I mean, but it was a different world back then, you know, at least, at least in my world. Mm-hmm. So was, when you think about it for you, how bad did it get? Cause I know you're one, you were struggling. Like you said, the voice of your mother in your head, you go into an environment that's stressful. You already have like another chef yelling at you and just the pressures of that. Yep. How bad did it eventually get for you in terms of your habit? Were you still using the drugs or? I mean, I mean, at the end, at the end of it, right before I started getting right, I was going through about a bottle of whiskey a day, you know, and that did not count. If you were to come through and maybe you might have had a six pack of beer that I'm drinking that, too. You know, if you came to the restaurant and you had a bottle of wine and you wanted to share something with me like that, then we were drinking that, too. You know, I mean, it was it was it it. It was a mess. And because alcoholics are so crafty, I w- when I would shop for the alcohol, I would buy two bottles of whiskey, one for now and one for when I woke up in the morning because the liquor stores weren't open yet. So I would have one at the ready mm-hmm. to start my day. Now, were you still using drugs at that time? Did, no, no, no. Tell me how yeah. you... Yeah, after a while... Alcohol? yeah. After a while, I, I I stopped all the drugs, you know, and was probably a, a good, you know, eight to 10 years clean with that. But then the alcohol intake just went through the roof at that point and, and, and then was at the two bottle mark right before I kind of stopped. Why do you think that it was easier to some extent and maybe it wasn't easier to let go of the other stuff, but still holding on to the alcohol? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I remember having like heart palpitations and different, you know, physical effects from from like snorting cocaine and, you know, and all of that stuff. And maybe it it was it was that that caused me to kind of ease back, you know, on that stuff. But I don't know, like drinking just always seemed easier. And maybe at that time, this didn't seem as serious of a drug as mm-hmm. the actual hard drugs. Mm-hmm. Do you feel at all that you were in denial about your drinking? Of course, of course. Most alcoholics are, you mm-hmm. know, you know, the like the, they, they always think they got it under control. They always think, you know, it's not that bad. They always think, oh, you know, I, I could stop whenever, you know, and, 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 and they're totally out of control. Was there a moment that let you know that you were out of control? Was there anything that stands out in your mind? I think that towards the end, like I, I do remember one case and I, I, it was probably the rock bottom case because at, at one point my wife wouldn't let me drink in the house anymore, you know, but that never stopped me because I would go somewhere else and drink. I, I would go into the basement and drink or I would go outside or I would take the trash out and spend two hours taking the trash out, you know. You know, like there was always some alternative place to go, you know, and do my thing, you know. But um, uh, it, it was just it was it was rough times, you know. Mm-hmm. So what led you finally say, I'm going to get help? Because I know a lot of people are at that point where they're like in denial. You realized, you know, that you were struggling to some extent. You're having these moments where your wife and I'm sure other family members are like, what is going on? Yeah. But what was the light bulb moment for you? There was one time I was sitting in the basement and I guess people were trying to find me like uh, 
restaurant employees, my family and everything. And, and they found me downstairs drinking and I would sit in this chair just by myself in total darkness, you know, and just kind of listen to music or whatever, you know, and uh, and they found me. And I, I think I just started screaming at, at everyone, you know, like, leave me alone. You don't know what's going on, blah, blah, blah. Just tripping on everybody. And at that point, I, I started kind of making scaring people. You know, like, mm-hmm. all right, this dude is has taken a curve that we've never seen yet, you know, and, you know, at that point, you know, you can lose your children, you can lose your business and the way that you're drinking, you can probably lose your life, you know, and how much of this means something to you to where you're ready to make a change. Do you, you know, feel like you were close to that of losing your business, potentially losing your life? How close do you feel like you were to that? Absolutely. I, I mean, it, it, it was probably by the skin of my teeth, you mm. know, and I knew and I knew at that point that if I did, in fact, lose all of that, that because I was already in self-destructive mode, that it would have been very easy for me to go to two bottles of whiskey a day, if not three bottles of whiskey a day until everything was just done, mm-hmm. you know, just because of how, how uh, self-destructive my mind was at that time. But luckily I was able to kind of go the other direction rather than straight ahead. Mm-hmm. So you ended up finding recovery. What mm-hmm. was your path? What helped you to find that path? Yeah, I I used to go to a couple AA meetings out in Brooklyn, you know, and um and 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 those places it takes time for you to find the right one, you know. I I would go to a couple AA meetings and then leave those AA meetings and go right to the liquor store and buy something to drink on the way back home, you know. Mm-hmm. I would go to a couple AA meetings where there would just be like a lot of um, old retired school teachers. And I couldn't really relate to the story or what they were talking about. It wasn't until I was able to find someone um, whose story resonated with me, you know, to where I could feel their struggle, their pain, and basically look in the mirror through, 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 the, through their lens, you know, that I was able to make this change, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and then that's when it really started. I think that's huge because that's why it's so important what we do on Addiction Talk is because people, you never know what story is Mm -hmm. going to resonate with someone. And I love what you said, being able to look through the lens of somebody else's life and really see yourself. And as you begin to look through the lens of other people's lives or even your own life, what did you begin to see about yourself? What did you find out or uncover about yourself? I just saw all the ugly. I just saw all the pain and, 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 and all the wrongs that I've done to myself and others, you know, friends, family, loved ones, kids, everything, you know, and just really started to figure out, you know, why that was and how to fix it and really started to look inward at me and, and then realizing, you know, my whole relationship with my mother, how I felt about myself, you know, and just started pick, you know, fixing things piece by piece by piece. And they were like, it was like a puzzle, you know, because there's like a million pieces to kind of figure out, look at, examine, you know, and then try to find out where that really can can be placed or if it's something that you could have to throw away. And how did you go through that process? Were you just sitting with yourself and you journal? Like, how did you get to putting the piece? So many ways. Yeah, so many ways. You know, you do it with your sponsor. 
You do it, you know, through loved ones. You do it uh, by yourself. You do it with pastors. You do it with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so you did you have to end up finding the source of the initial pain or did, is it just like you had to realize that these were different triggers or things that had happened in your yeah. life that caused the trauma? Yeah, a lot of that, you know, you have to figure out, you know, where because it it's like a million pieces of glass, you know, and all of it kind of has its own trigger. A lot of it kind of just stemmed all the way back to to to, to just where I don't have any self-confidence about myself. You know, where I just didn't love myself to where I didn't appreciate myself to where I just didn't really think that I was worth anything, anything, because those were the voices that my mother told me over and over and over and over again. You know, well, you know, what's so interesting is how, you know, somebody looks at you and they're like, how do you end up on Top Chef or achieve all of these things? But yet we're battling this voice all that time. I mean, you just do it. You know, like I, I think that in the end, it was my will to win. And my will to to beat this thing, you know, even even during that time, you know, it, it, it's, it's just you have all of these components about yourself. But this dark cloud that not only is above you, but like surrounds you and paralyzes you and you feel so, you know, um, you know, incapacitated by it, you know, like it, you can't make a move without feeling some kind of way about yourself, you know, but, but I had this will and desire to beat it and to win, you know, even during those dark times. Does it seem when you look back and go, Oh my gosh, I'm almost celebrating 10 years. Is that unbelievable? Does that seem unbelievable unbelievable to you? Unbelievable, really unbelievable, you know, to know that 10 years ago I was in that dark place and, and absolutely could not see this life at all, at all, at all. I was bitter. I was angry at myself. I was, you know, I, I, I was a bad guy, you know, horrible. Not now. Mm. Who are you now? Who, who is the version that your family is getting now? How do you feel like sobriety has changed you? I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm much better. You know, I, I, I listen, you know, and I think that that's the biggest one is that is that it's not all about me. You know, and, you know, because before it had to be all about me, you know, the world needed to be all about me. Every story needed to be about me. The food that I was cooking needed to be about me. And it's none of that. Never was, you know, and just having some humility to kind of work through and and being able to listen and inspire and, and and, you know, and do all of these things. You know, I think that that's the version of Chris who's who's here now, you know, who's, who's lifting people up, who's sharing, you know, my, my, my lived experience, Mm -hmm. you know, for those that might look like me or sound like me or had experiences like me through cooking or drinking or living or being a father or a husband or, or whatever the case may, may just might be, you know, it's just, you know, I, I I feel that I have all of these, you know, outlets, Mm -hmm. you know, those, because like I, I, I was talking about how I, I remember what it felt like to be kind of isolated and shunned and, 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 and not pulled up or, or helped. So I want to be able to be the best version of me for everyone, you know, so that so that no one has to realize that they're going through this pain by themselves. 
And how has it impacted your cooking? You know, I, I, mm -hmm. I know you were going through your addiction struggle and cooking at the same time, but did you see a shift in your cooking? Of course. I think that once I was able to heal myself, I was also learning more about who I am, you know, and that cooking aspect of it was was uh, was a big part of it, too, you know, and kind of going back to my roots and just, you know, embracing that. Because before I was cooking, um, I'm I'm I've been cooking for 35 years and a lot of my background is in European food, you know, and. I just never felt like that was home for me because I would be looked upon by the other cooks in the kitchen, you know, like not taken seriously or I would just always be that black dude cooking somebody else's food. You know, I mean, that that's a whole nother topic, you know, but I just never felt like that was my place because they mm -hmm. didn't want me to be there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, so once I was able to kind of embrace my own and learn more about me, it started to shine through in my food, you know, and Ooh. then, and then that food, that food started turning out to be like, excellent, you know, like better than the other people's food that I was doing, because now I'm doing my stuff. I'm bringing forth not just the food, but the culture and the story behind it, the origins. So it was like a self-discovery process for you. Mm -hmm. So uncovering and healing yourself, Helped right. you to get in touch with what you really wanted to cook and yep. what you really wanted to give to the world. And yep. now you find yourself tapping into that now. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Like I, I what I'm cooking now, I feel the most free, you know, free mm -hmm. in my spirit, you know, able to talk about it and do all of these things. And then for those same people that didn't want me to be a part of their clique before in these European kitchens, you know, will still look down on the food that I'm doing now, but I, I just don't have time for that. You know, like I'm able to still walk proudly, you know, mm -hmm. and push all of that away. And I, I would imagine even silencing the voice of your mother or silencing the voice of others. A little bit. A little just bit. Just yeah. hearing your own voice. Why you say just a little bit? I mean, it, it, it's because I, I think that, that for individuals who have gone through that much trauma, you know, it never truly goes away. But like I said, luckily I have that big old backpack of tools mm -hmm. that now I know how to work it, you know, and maybe in time, maybe in 20, 30, 40 years, that voice will be silent, silent, silent. You know, how do you hope that your journey will inspire the next generation of chefs, just even to be able to admit maybe they're struggling with addiction? Um, what do you hope they will learn or glean from your story? I think that, you know, I'm hoping that a lot of people who are experiencing this or even listening now can relate to the story, especially if you're in the industry. You know, because you know exactly where I'm coming from with, with all of this. And I know probably what it might look like, you know, in one's mind about, you know, this is where I'm at in my sobriety or I'm still drinking one foot in, one foot out, you know, kind of wanting to take those next steps. You know, I know what that looks like. I've been there, you know, and 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 I can assure you that there is life after this. You know, you just really have to want it and just know that you don't have to go through it by yourself. You know, that's first and foremost. And the people that you push away are right there in your corner. 
you know, and they know you better than you know yourself right now. And, and are there any boundaries, Chris, that they need to put in place? Because I imagine most restaurants, you know, you said maybe some of that culture is still there from years ago. So mm -hmm. how can they thrive in that environment yet still create boundaries for themselves? You've been pretty successful at it so far. Well, you know what? In our spot, I don't allow any shift drinks. You know, if I don't drink and I don't drug and you work for me, then you're not drinking and drugging either. And you definitely ain't doing it in my spot. I'm not trying to harbor that. I'm not trying to, you know, okay, we worked hard today. We're going to have drinks. We're going to do shots. No, we don't do that. We don't do that there, you know, and just understanding, you know, that, 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 that in these places where we work at, not only are we not drinking, but we're talking a lot too, you know, because mental health is, is certainly important. You know, and there's not a day that goes by where I just don't check in on, on staff. How are you? How's your family? How are your kids? What's going on? You know, did you watch the game? Did you eat there? You're like, I'm always checking in beyond what's on your prep list, because in the end, that doesn't matter. You know, I need to know, is your spirit good? What can I do to enrich that? How can we grow together? What can I learn from you? How can this food benefit from your input from working here? You know, well, it's really about having a conversation. So I think, you know, if someone's lucky enough to work at your restaurant, I know they're going to get a, not only your expertise, but the environment that you've created. But it sounds like you're also saying, hey, if you find yourself in an environment where that is going on, have those conversations. Let's totally. start a conversation. Let's talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. All the time. All the time. That 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 line of communication needs to be open 24 seven. Well, as we wrap this up, you've given us so many golden nuggets, but I want to know, Chris, from you, what's been the best piece of advice that you've been given on your sobriety journey? Hmm. Piece of advice. I, 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 I'm not sure about piece of advice, but there are certainly advice that you would give the best piece of wisdom that you would give. Well, I mean, it's, it's more like lessons learned, you know, and just, you know, having the ability to understand that it's not about you, you know, it's about fixing what's in your spirit, you know, trying to find that source of why you drink, learning, you know, to, to, to kind of build upon that foundation with your family, your friends, uh, your faith, you know, like just, just sort of just letting go of the things that were all about you at that point. I mean, that that's really how I started to kind of look inward. You know, once I've started to drop all of these faces of the old Chris, you know, mm -hmm. and look inward, then, 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 then I was really able to see the truth, mm -hmm. you know? So I think a lot of it is just understanding, you know, just don't let it be always about you. You know, mm -hmm. people are there for you. Mm -hmm. I love that. People are there for you. And I wanted to touch on two last things. You talked about still having the old Chris with chains and he's got a rock on him and he's down there. How do you keep him at bay? Is that still through your support system and just the yeah. tools that you have in yeah. place? Yeah. Yeah. Through the support system and just, you know, always really, you know, trusting yourself now you know, trusting these tools that you now have, but really relying, you know, on family and, 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 and just knowing what's good for you and then seeing the truth that's right in front of your face. You know, I mean, I remember for the first couple of years of my sobriety, people just thought I was BSing them. 
because mm-hmm. they saw me, you know, go sober for six months. They saw me stop drinking for a week or two, you know, and they're just like, okay, he's going to drink again. You know, it took them almost two years for people that were close to me to truly believe that I was doing something right. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, you know, and now it's those people, those same people that are in my corner is my strongest support, my wife, my children, you know, my, my, my pastors, you know, all of those people that really hold me up and hold me true and hold me totally 100% accountable to, to everything, mm-hmm. you know, good or bad, you know, like that's, that's how I get through. I love that. And, you know, your congratulations, you're close to celebrating 10 years. We mentioned that earlier, but I also want to know as we wrap up, what is next for you on the cooking horizon? We know you got this new cookbook coming out called Amish Soul Food. I'd never heard of Amish and soul food together, (laughs) (laughs) but what's next for you, Chris? Uh, I'm currently doing a lot of TV, you know, I'm judging, you know, on the Food Network, Beat Bobby Flay, doing some stuff, you know, on the Food Network. I'm, I'm on the other side of the table now where I'm, you know, not just cooking competitive, c- competitively, but I'm also judging now, you know, so just really trying to expand on that. Uh, looking forward, hopefully, to having um, a full-on restaurant again. You know, me and my business partners, we're looking to open up the Butterfunk brand into more airports and stadiums and, you know, doing all that. So you'll see a lot of things down the pike. Mm-hmm. And that cookbook. Oh, how good is that yeah. food in there? Tell me about it. Well, see, Amish and soul food, a lot of people don't realize real quick. A lot of people don't realize that soul food is regional. So depending on where you are in the country, you know, in Virginia, you have the Tidewater people. So you're influenced by all that coastal seafood. You know, you go into the Carolinas, Gullah Geechee, more African flavors, more rice culture. You know, you go into Florida, the panhandle, into Louisiana, more Creole. You know, you go west, more barbecue culture. But up where I'm at, when the slaves were freed, you know, they moved into Pennsylvania where the German, the Dutch and the Amish already were. You know, so by the time that I was born, that fusion of cooking and flavors were already in place. You know, Mm -hmm. so that's the food that I knew already. And that's what they're going to get. Amish soul food. Well, yes. it has been delightful to talk to you, Chris. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable about your story. And I believe that somebody, it's going to resonate with someone. They're going to look in the mirror, like you said, and they're going to see themselves through your story. Yes. So thank you again. And that's going to do it for another episode of Addiction Talk. All right. Thank you.